I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Well, let's start by going to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day, and we thank you for this time, Lord, to come and gather around your word, Lord. And Lord, uh, we want to hear from you today, because that's most more important than anything. And so, Lord, we just pray as we study your word together, as your word is preached, Lord, that you would open up your word to us, and that your spirit would imply, apply it to our, our lives, Lord. So, Lord, let us see how we can take today's text and, and learn from it and apply it to our way of thinking in this world. So, Lord, just pray that you would be with us and bless us in this time. Now, these things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Deuteronomy chapter 20. I just noticed David back. Hey, David. <laughs> Good to have you back. Oh, sorry about that. Deuteronomy chapter 20. Today we're looking at verses 1 through 20. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, you can grab one of the Pew Bibles there. And it's page 152 in the Pew Bible. Page 152 in the Pew Bible. And if you just don't have a, a, a Bible of your own, then uh, we invite you to take that Pew Bible with you, and that's our gift to you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word, so please take it and uh, use it. It would certainly glorify your life and bless your life. So Deuteronomy chapter 20 verses 1 through 20 today, so the whole chapter. Now the Bible, as we think about the Bible and what the Bible teaches us, a lot of people will look at the Bible and say, well, that's, that's to instruct us in our spiritual life, but that's it, right? And so uh, a lot of, especially the secular culture, uh, the Bible is only good for the church house, and it really doesn't affect anything else, but that is contrary to what Scripture tells us. Uh, scripture and tells us how we are to think about the world yes it teaches us the way of salvation it reveals to us the Jesus Christ and what he has done for us but it also tells us how we to, are to think about certain things certain issues even in our culture and so last week even we, we saw that uh, it, it teaches us how we should think about the death penalty it teaches us how we should think about abortion and today, as we look at uh, this text, Deuteronomy chapter 20, as we're continuing our walk through Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 20 tells us how to think about warfare. That's what this whole chapter is about. It's about warfare and how the Israelites were to think about warfare and how they were to deal with warfare. And so today, we're going to see that. Today's text, uh, we, we need to understand as we look at today's text, uh, we have to understand the context of this text, right? We have to understand the context of Deuteronomy chapter 20. Now, this text is meant to govern warfare for the Israelites, for the ancient Israelites. We are not ancient Israel, okay? America is not ancient Israel. And so here in a minute, as I begin to read this text, we're going to see that uh, it, it, there's this instruction, uh, don't fear, because God goes before you. 
And some people would say, look, America, we can go out and God is before us. God is with us. God is on our side. No, we can't say that of America. Right? This is not for America. This is for ancient Israel, a special na- uh, nation uh, that God had chosen out of all the other nations and he was taking them into the promised land. And as he's taking them into the promised land, he says, you don't fear because I'm going before you and I'm going to fight the battle because I'm going to give you this land. And so we can't say as Americans, as we go off to war, God is on our side more so than any other nation. We can't say that. We can't say that. Uh, Now, as Christians, uh, there is an element that applies to us because as Christians, as God's people, we fight a, a battle every day. It's not a physical battle, as Scripture tells us. We don't battle flesh and blood, but we battle spiritual forces, powers and principalities and spiritual forces. And in that, Christians can say, Yes, we need not fear because God goes before us. God is fighting our battles for us. But America can't say God is on our side. In fact, as we've already discussed, uh, God is probably pretty disgusted with America. And we ought to fear God's judgment on this nation. God is not on our side, not as a, a nation. This, we can't apply that directly from Israel to America Uh, We do also understand that this is a different historical context. It's a different historical context. We're at a different space in in time, right? We're at a different space in history. And so some of the things that are dealt with here, like plundering a people, uh, that had to do with Israel, and and certainly that was how they paid their their soldiers, right? That's how they got compensated for their work as as soldiers, and and that doesn't apply to us. So it doesn't apply to us in in those exact ways. Our text addresses, uh, we're going to see this, it addresses what we might call a holy war as Israel's going into the land of Canaan. They're to annihilate all of those, and we're going to talk about why that was. Uh, but that uh, certainly doesn't apply to us today. We're not called as Christians to any kind of holy, of holy war, especially uh, flesh and blood. Our holy war, again, is a spiritual war, a spiritual battle. And we, we also understand, again, that we're under a different covenant. We're under a different covenant. This is the old covenant. That was a covenant between God and the people of Israel uh, we are under the new covenant, so as new covenant Christians, we, this still applies to us because this is God's authoritative word. It still has authority for us, but we apply it as it is uh, interpreted through Christ's fulfillment of it. And so I want to look at that and think about some of those things today, and I want us to see how we do think about Deuteronomy today, but we need to understand that. It doesn't apply just one for one as it did for Israel for us today, but there's still some things that we can learn from it, right? We can glean some important principles from this text that should inform how we think about war. And the the main principle that we see here in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 20 is that we must seek to maintain the dignity of human life even in warfare. 
right? Because we're in that text of Deuteronomy, the part of the Deuteronomy law that's uh, unfolding the principle, thou shalt not murder, which has to do with maintaining the dignity of human life, recognizing the sanctity of human life, and that applies even in war. We are to maintain the dignity of human life even in warfare. And I want to show you this. Uh, I want to show three ways to maintain the dignity of human life in warfare from our text today. So, uh, again, this is a long text, so we're just going to work through it little by little as we go here. Now, one way that we see here from our text that uh, we are to maintain the dignity of human life in warfare is to, number one, honor warriors. We are to honor warriors, and let me just start reading here. When you go out to war against your enemy and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint do not fear or panic or be in dread of them for the lord your god it is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory again let me just pause here we understand this in the context uh, that was dealing with the nation israel and god was giving them the land of course this does apply to us as we apply it through Jesus' fulfillment of Old Testament Scripture, we understand that we're not Israel, we're not that nation, but we are the people of God. And we do fight battle every day. It is a spiritual battle against evil. We fight that battle. And as we fight that battle, we can say we are not to fear. Because God, His power goes before us. Just as we read earlier in the book of Acts, right? The Spirit went out before Paul. And the Spirit fought those spiritual battles for Paul and Barnabas as they took the gospel to the nations. And so we can apply it in that sense that God goes before us as we fight His battle. He takes care of His believers. And He gives us strength to do what He has called us to do. And we need not fear the enemy, Satan, and all of His demonic forces. We need not fear because God goes before us. But then we read on, and here's where we get into that honoring of warriors. Then the officers shall speak to the people, saying, Is there any man who has built a new house? And has not dedicated it? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man dedicate it. And then is there any man who has planted a vineyard and has not enjoyed its fruit? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man enjoy its fruit. And is there a man who has betrothed a wife and has not taken her? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man take her. Now, 
what is he dealing with here? What is this? This is kind of strange to us because, again, this is a different culture. We don't, we don't do this. Uh, this is not something that is common for us. But, but what's this all dealing with? Well, it, it's dealing with uh, making domestic provisions for the warriors. That's really what it's looking at. That's really what the focus here. Uh, it's taking, you know, making sure you, the, a soldier eats of his vineyard before he dies. To make sure he, he, he has a child with his wife before he dies. All of that is about uh, carrying on that line. And, and in Israel, where everything relied upon, all of your resources relied upon your land, right? Your little plot of land and your crops, all of that was made to take care of your family, to make sure they were uh, taken care of. You, you, you wanted to have a child so that the child could grow up and carry on your name and in that take care of mama, right? Because the child would come up and, and take over the farm and, and take care of mama. That's how, that was the retirement plan back then, right? Children came up and took care of their parents when their parents got too old to work. And so that's the way it all worked. And so really the focus here, even though this is strange to us, the focus here is making that, taking care of those soldiers, those warriors domestically, making sure there were provisions back home, making sure they were established at home so that their family was taken care of as they went off to battle. Now you can imagine how this affects a, a warrior out on the battlefield. If a warrior is out there on the battlefield fighting a battle and all he can think about is, well, how's my family doing? Are they being provided for? Are they living in swallow? Are they going hungry? Or, or do they have enough to sustain them? Well, that distracts them from the battle at hand and could actually distract them and, and cause them to lose their life, Right? And so one way to honor the warrior is to, to take care of him, to make sure he has provisions, to make sure his family is provided for even while he's out there on the battle. And if he dies in battle, make sure they have provisions so that they can carry on their life back home. We're to honor the warrior domestically by taking care of their provision, providing for them, making sure they have an income, making sure their family has a way to, to, to live while the soldier is off fighting a battle. Furthermore, we're to also honor warriors by uh, removing obstacles out of their way. Picking up in verse 8 there, and the, officer, and the officer shall speak further to the people and say, Is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. And so removing obstacles. In this case, the, the, the leaders there, they say, is there anybody who's fearful? Uh, they send those fearful people back home. Because why? Because that fearful heart is contagious. Fear is contagious and it would spread to other people. And it would end up being an obstacle to other people soldiers other warriors out there on the battlefield and so he says you're to take that obstacle out of their way now in today's time there are a lot of obstacles that can get into in the way of our warriors when they go off to war aren't there in fact we see in, in politics 
politics today. Politicians end up making our warriors pawns in their political games. And what do they do? They, they put obstacles in the way of our warriors. Obstacles that could get in their way out on the battlefield and cause them their lives. Well, what a shame. What a shame. Our, our military should never be pawns in a political game. Uh, our, we should be working, our, our government should be working to remove obstacles out of their way so that they can do their job, not putting obstacles in their way. When you put obstacles in the way of soldiers out on the battlefield, soldiers get killed. And so we honor our warriors by removing those obstacles. Furthermore, we honor warriors by giving them competent leadership. Verse 9, and when the officers have finished speaking to the people, then commanders shall be appointed to the heads of the people. So in other words, after you've removed all the faint-hearted, all the obstacles, then from what's left, the cream of the crop, right? From what is left, you appoint officers. You, you appoint competent leadership for your people. I, and I, being a military man myself, I can say uh, it is so important to have competent leaders leading you because I've had some incompetent ones. And it was a pain to us, right? It caused us extra work. It got in the way of the mission. And so you need competent leaders, not old uh, Buddy Joe over there that, that's your friend and you want to put him in a position, a high position. No, you want competent leadership leading men out to battle. Leading those warriors out to battle. And so you want competent leadership for them. And all of this, mind you, is to maintain life. It is to maintain the dignity of human life. It is to maintain life. Think about that. The point of honoring warriors is trying to preserve their lives. Providing for them domestically, providing for their families back home, re relieves their minds from home and allows them to focus on the task at hand. Removing obstacles keeps those obstacles from, from becoming life-threatening. It gets those obstacles out of the way and they can, again, focus on the task at hand. And of course, competent leadership helps to minimize casualties and not maximize them. So one way that we maintain the dignity of human life in warfare is by honoring our warriors. Honoring our warriors, doing things that might help them maintain their life and preserve their life. That they might make it through the battle. So one way... We maintain the dignity of human life and warfare is to honor our warriors. Second, the second way is to seek peace. We seek peace. Now as we move down to the, the next paragraph here, this next paragraph actually deals with two kinds of wars, two kinds of battles. First it deals with a distant campaign right a distant war that's taking place a, uh, a war away from the land of Canaan and then in verses 16 through 18 there it deals with a nearby campaign uh, that is 
in the land of Canaan. And there's, there's two different ways that they are to handle these two different types of campaigns. And so first, I want to focus in on the first one, the distant campaign. And here's where we see we are to honor life. We're to uh, maintain the dignity of human life by seeking peace, by seeking peace. Notice what he says there in verse 10, 10 through 11. When you draw near to a city to fight against it, offer terms of peace to it. And if it responds to you peaceably and it opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall do forced labor for you and shall serve you. Again, we're dealing with an ancient context and an ancient way of doing things that not necessarily uh, translate over to us and applies directly to us but we see here that first we're as as you go out to battle right as as a nation goes out to battle we maintain human dignity by seeking peace first that's what he says here when you go out to battle first seek peace offer diplomacy Try to work out the issue before the battle begins. You go to the leaders and you seek peace. You offer terms of peace first. That's, that's the first step. You don't just go out and fight. No, you, you go out to seek peace because human life is valuable. Even the enemy's life is valuable. That enemy is still created in the image and likeness of God. So you first offer terms of peace. You seek peace first. Diplomacy is the first option. Diplomacy is the first step. You go to, to find ways to bring a peaceful solution to the conflict. But if that doesn't work, then you go to war, right? War is kind of like the, the last step here. Verse 12, but... If it makes no peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. Then war. First peace, then war. You want to maintain human life. You want to preserve life as much as you can. We are to always seek to preserve life the best we can. And so when a battle starts, when a war is beginning to brew, when there's a conflict between nations, we should first seek diplomacy. We should first seek peace. Well, you know, that really doesn't just apply when we're talking about national conflict, but that does apply to even individual conflict, doesn't it? When we get into an argument with Another person, our first indication should be to go to that person and seek peace. Why do we allow conflict to continue to boil and boil and boil and to brew and brew and brew until division takes place? No, we need to nip it in the bud, right? We need to go and seek peace. That's what Jesus tells us. If your brother has something against you, Go to your brother, you and him, and work it out. Right? Work it out. If you work it out, then you've won your brother, and, and everything's great. And, then, and if he won't listen to you, well, then you take two or three more with you, and you try to work it out that way. And if he won't list, they won't listen, then you take it to the church. You, you, all of that is to, to maintain this, this peace, within, especially within the church. Oh, how we should apply this. Why should we allow hard feelings to 
brood. Why should we let conflict continue to, to gain momentum until division takes place? No, we need to go and seek peace. Work out whatever conflict it might be. Seek peace. So in maintaining the human dignity in warfare, we're to, to seek peace through diplomacy. And if diplomacy doesn't work, then go to war. But then, as he continues on, we, we do everything thereafter to maintain peace. And I'll admit, this is a difficult text to deal with here, but, but let's just kind of at least get the, some, some of the details here. Verse 13, And when the Lord your God gives it into your hand, you shall put all its males to the sword. But the women and the little ones, the livestock and everything else in the city, all its spoil, you shall take as, as plunder for yourselves, and you shall enjoy the spoil of your enemy, which the Lord your God has given you. Thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you, which are not cities of the nations here. Now, what is all of this, putting all the males to the sword? Well, basically, it's, it's getting rid of the opposition, right? It's getting rid of those fighters, the, the ones who, uh, who resist, the ones who uh, will continue to fight and fight and fight. It's taking away that element. That's the only way I can explain it anyway, right? You've already offered terms of peace, and if, they, and if they receive the terms of peace, then, then you don't kill them. But if, if they want to fight, then you've got to remove that element. But all of this is to work towards maintaining peace, to reestablish peace, and to maintain peace, to save life in the end. At least that's the way I, I see it, and I believe it, it's getting at here. A lot of different commentators have a lot of different ideas about this. Maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me the whole idea here is to work towards peace and the preserving of human life. Even if that means you have to take human life along the way, and that's what war is, right? War is taking life so that other lives may be preserved. So, all of war, all of conflict, all of warfare is to aim towards peace. To bring a peaceful solution. Even if there has to be some conflict along the way. Even if there has to be death along the way. It's all working towards bringing about peace and preserving more life in the end. So we maintain the dignity of human life and warfare by honoring our warriors and seeking peace. Now, I was going to cover this next section right in order, but I think I'm going to come back to it uh, at the end. So uh, let's hold on to that piece about the holy war and, and let's come back to it in the end and move down to that last paragraph there. Ways to maintain the human dignity of, of or the dignity of human life in warfare, honor warriors, seek peace, and finally, we, we maintain the dignity of human life by conserving resources. We're to conserve resources. Uh, this is a, a little 
this little paragraph here people kind of scratch their heads at, but uh, that's really what it's getting at. Verse 19, when you besiege a city for a long time, making war against it in order to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. You may eat from them, but you shall not cut them down. Are the trees in the, are the, trees in the field human? that they should be besieged by you? Only the trees that you know are not trees for food, that's the key right there, right? They're, you know, to cut down the fruit trees. The trees that you know are not trees for food, you may destroy and cut down, that you may build siege work against the city that makes war with you until it falls. And so uh, you are to conserve resources, in warfare, we should aim to conserve resources. At least our government should aim to conserve resources. Uh, first of all, you conserve essential resources. We are to conserve essential resources. Uh, he, he instructs them here to, to not cut down the trees, and then he goes on and specifies what kind of trees. Right? These are essential resources. These are fruit-bearing trees. These are trees that are, are used for food. Now, you, he goes on to say other trees, trees that are not used for food, right? The dispendable resources you can utilize. So utilize dispendable resources, but conserve essential resources. Those trees that aren't good for much of anything, hey, use those to build siege work. But the fruit trees, conserve them, take care of them. We're to conserve these resources. Why? Because they're life-sustaining. They're life-sustaining. Oh, eventually, this war is going to be over, right? Whatever war you're in, whatever battle you're going through, it's going to be over, and there's, there's going to be life to take place after that. And so you need to conserve the resources so that the people who are left have the resources to live off of after the war is ended. Now, this is in complete contrast to the scorched earth strategy that we see played out so often today think about to the civil war days general sherman he was one of the ones who was great with this one he scorched the earth as he made his march to the sea he he destroyed everything in its path houses fields everything was scorched in his path the Iraqis, when they, they left Kuwait, they scorched the earth. They burned up all the oil, oil fields and, and set all the, the oil uh, platforms on fire as they left. It's this scorched earth. Let's just, if we can't have the resources, then we'll just scorch them. We'll just take them out and destroy them. And oftentimes with weapons of such mass destruction, we see this play out even on other battlefields a lot of a lot of of what uh, a lot of the strategy today is this kind of scorch the earth but that's contrary to what scripture tells us we're called to be stewards of god's creation which includes those resources utilize what we have to utilize to in the conflict but those essential resources, we should conserve them, take care of them, because somebody's got to live there after all of this is over with. 
And we should be interested in preserving their lives. The dignity of human life is maintained in warfare by conserving resources. Use what is necessary, but conserve what can be conserved because the battle eventually will end and people will need those resources to live and maintain life. And all of that, even in warfare, God is interested in maintaining the dignity of human life. Every life, even the life of our enemy, is valuable in the sight of God. Because every human life is created in the image and likeness of God. War is an unfortunate consequence of living in a fallen world and we should weep and mourn when war happens but as christians as followers of jesus christ as god's people we should encourage our government we should influence our our nation as much as with as in our power To always move towards conserving and preserving human life. We understand that human life will be taken in war. It's a consequence of war. But not unnecessarily. We should always aim to conserve life and maintain human dignity even in warfare. We're to maintain the dignity of human life in warfare by working to maintain human life. In war, there will always be the loss of life. The goal is to reduce the loss of life as much as possible. We honor warriors so that they have the best chance to survive the conflict. We seek peace through diplomacy first and then go to war last to avoid the loss of human life. We're to conserve resources so that human life can be maintained and and thrive even in the aftermath of war. But you know, all of this, war in itself, all points to a final battle that will be placed in the end. And then we come back to verse 16. Verse 16 deals with that nearby campaign. As the Israelites move into the land of Canaan, here are the instructions for them. This is the, the promised land, God's land, where He will establish His people. Notice verse 16. But in the cities of the, these people that the Lord your God is giving you for a, an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete destruction. The Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded, that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices, that they may... Uh, that they have done for their gods, and so you, and so you sin against the Lord your God." Notice here, and we need to understand what's taking place here. This is a holy war, the near campaign, as they go in to take the land of Canaan. 
They are instructed here to devote the people of the land to complete and utter destruction. This command was specific for Israel, right? As they're going into the promised land, it's not for us, it's for them. Now, we have to remember and understand because a lot of people look at this and say, well, God's not a very merciful God and gracious God in the Old Testament. But we need to understand and we need to remember that it is God's prerogative as God. It is His prerogative who lives and dies. It is God's prerogative what nations rise and fall. And we don't understand completely the mind of God. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and your thoughts, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We don't understand the mind of God. We don't understand what's, what's going on and, and what He has planned. He sees the whole picture. We see only a small little portion of it. But we trust God in all things. But we also understand that as they go in and they're called to completely annihilate these, these nations, we see from the text that there are two primary reasons why Israel is called to annihilate these nations. First, they are called to annihilate them because of their iniquities, because of their sin against a holy and righteous God. Verse uh, 18 again that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods. They have sinned against their Creator. Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, as God is uh, establishing His covenant with Abraham, He tells them that, uh, that His offspring will come back. He says, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for because the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. In other words, God is saying, I'm storing up their sin. I'm storing up their rebellion. I'm storing up the penalty for their sin and their rebellion. And I'm getting ready to pour it out upon them. The just and righteous penalty for these nations sins God says I'm storing it up for now and when it is full I will bring your offspring back and I will pour out my righteous judgment upon these nations so as Israel is going in to annihilate these nations they are doing God's will they are doing God's deed by delivering the judgment that God has been storing up for these nations it is a righteous judgment hear me it is a righteous judgment these nations got what they deserve because of their rebellion against a holy and righteous God make no mistake about that God is not an unjust God he annihilated them because they had sinned against Him and He poured out His judgment upon them. And here's the second reason why they were instructed to remove them and to annihilate these nations. It was because of their influence. It was because of their influence. Notice the last part of that little verse there. And, so, uh, and that they teach you their abominable practices, right? And so you sin against the Lord your God. 
They were to take them out so that wouldn't be an influence upon them. Their abominable acts, their sin wouldn't be an influence upon them. That teaches us something, doesn't it? Anything in our lives, any person in our lives who might draw us away from God and teach us to do things against God, we should remove from our lives. Not annihilate them, of course, but we should remove them from our lives. We should get rid of them in our lives. They should not be that influence. We need to take care, we need to take care of that. We need to remove that influence so that we not sin against God. Whether it be TV, whether it be some device, whether it be a person, whatever it is that might draw us away from God, we need to get rid of it. Don't allow that influence on your life to draw you away from God. Now, of course, all of this points us not just to the conflict that the Israelites were about to face, but all of it pointed, points forward to Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Because all of the old Scripture was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus fulfills it. And all of this, the annihilation of those nations, was all pointing to a greater day that was to come. You see, Scripture tells us that there is coming a day when Jesus will return. And He will pour out God's judgment upon this earth. And all of those who are living in rebellion against God, just like the, the Hittites and the Hevites and all of those ites, just like they were living in disobedience to God, and God poured out His judgment upon them, one day Christ is returning, who is the true Israel, and He will come and He will uh, proclaim for God not just the land of Palestine, but all the earth. He will proclaim for God and He will pour out God's judgment upon all the earth and all of those ites who still live in, in, in rebellion against God. Christ will pour out His judgment upon them and they will be annihilated. Not in the sense that they will uh, cease to exist, but they will be sent to a devil's hell where they will spend all of eternity receiving God's righteous wrath because of their sin and their rebellion against God. You see, what we see here in Deuteronomy, what we see taking place in the book of Joshua as they're annihilating all of these people, is going to be fulfilled in the end, but not just in the land of Palestine, but over the whole earth. The question is, which, which side of the line of battle will you be on? You see, Jesus has already won the victory. He won the victory when He came. And he lived a life in perfect obedience to God's will. He did everything that God the Father wanted him to do. He accomplished a perfect obedience. He came, he died for the sins of his people. Those who would trust him and put their faith in him, he died for their sins. He paid the penalty for their sins in their place so that when the day of judgment comes, he doesn't have to pour his, God's wrath out upon them because he's already received it himself. 
And those who trust in Jesus Christ, they will be on the the right side of the battle line. They will be behind Christ as Christ comes to pour out God's indignation on this earth. They will be behind Christ. But all of those who have resisted Jesus, who never trusted in Him, it's not about doing right and doing wrong all, all No, it's about trusting in Jesus Christ. Putting your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ. Surrendering to Christ. Turning away from sin. Turning away from following the prince and the power of this air. air, Of of the air. And and turning to Jesus. That's what it's about. Trusting in Jesus. If you trust in Jesus, you'll be on the right side of the battle line. But if you fail to trust in Jesus Christ, guess what? What? God's wrath, God's righteous judgment will be poured out upon you for all of eternity. So which side of the battle line will you be on? Today, if you've never trusted in Jesus, cross the battle line. Put your faith in Christ. Receive the forgiveness, the redemption that He provides. Trust in Him. Get on the right side of that line today. Because we're not promised tomorrow. Get on the right side of the battle line today by trusting in Jesus. Do it today before it's eternally too late. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we just confess that there's things in Scripture that's hard for us to understand that take Him in a different context than we're used to. But Lord, we just pray that You would teach us from Your Word because Your Word is authoritative for us. So Lord, teach us even from this text on warfare. Teach us about how we should think about war and how that should influence what we think about the dignity of human life. And greater still, Lord, let us see what it teaches us about Jesus. And in this case, about the final battle that will be taking place. And that battle has already been won. And there won't be any much resistance. Jesus will just simply speak a word. And his will will be done. Your wrath will be poured out. Oh Lord, I fear that there are those who are listening to this message today who are on the wrong side of the battle line. Oh Lord pierce their hearts today let them see the salvation that you have provided in Christ let them trust in him so their life might be preserved for all of eternity in your glorious kingdom these things I pray in Christ's name amen